0: Welcome to The Bob Zadek Show, your home for insight and in-depth analysis. Listen live right here or join us at BobZadek.com. That's Z-A-D-E-K, BobZadek.com. The Bob Zadek Show. Ideas, not attitude. Information, not talking points.
1: Hello, friends. I'm Bob Zadig, host of the country's longest-running libertarian broadcast, nationally streamed at 8 a.m. Pacific Time Sundays on the 860 AM app. My Bob Zadig Show podcast archive holds 15 years of major issue discussion and is the ideal resource to remind us of the errors of the past, especially since many are still with us. I promise you in-depth content on social, political, and economic issues that really matter, along with the ideal guest, accessible and entertaining, our standard ideas, not attitude. Today's guest, former two-term SEC Commissioner Paul Atkins, exceeds those standards. Paul is presently the chief executive of Potomac Global Partners, a New York and D.C.-based financial services consultancy. Paul served as a member of the Congressional Oversight Panel for TARP, remember that, and was a partner in PricewaterhouseCoopers and an attorney with Davis Polk. Paul, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you, Bob. Thanks for having
1: me. Now, today, we'll, today's topic we can subtitle as Financial Markets Meet Environmental Social Governance, which sounds rather benign, but it's far from it. Imagine you're seeking the best physician to cure a serious medical condition. What's the likelihood you'll ask the prospective physician her opinion on, let's say, immigration or cash bail or criminal justice reform or, well, you get the point. As Paul will explain, financial regulation is forcing the politics of ESG into our financial markets resulting in lower yields for all of us and a misallocation of capital. The political pollution of capital markets is today's topic. Paul, good morning. Now, uh, before we start, just as basic information, just so our audience can really get into today's topic, tell us, just in, in a really short introduction, tell us, you're an SEC commissioner for two terms. Tell us the role, the statutory, historical purpose of the SEC, so we can understand today's discussion in a context.
2: Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Bob. Well, so the SEC is, uh, you know, a government agency, and it doesn't stand for stand for Southeastern Conference or anything like that. Um, and it was created back in 1934. So this was in the wake of the 1929 stock market crash. and So Congress um, and the new FDR administration um, had a series of uh, statutes that were enacted and um, that were trying to govern the securities markets and bring disclosure to them and more transparency uh, and that sort of thing. And so the FCC was created as a... Specialized agency to uh, be a regulator of the financial markets, uh, and then uh, at least the public markets, and then um, and then also as an enforcement agency. And so, uh, you know, now it's eighty uh, some years later, and um, so the SEC has, uh, you know, a whole big uh, uh, regulatory rulebook of uh, of regulations that govern. Uh, brokers and asset managers like mutual funds and investment advisors um, and and all sorts of other parts of the infrastructure of uh, trading securities um, here in the United States.
1: And I want to undo a bit of folklore that seems to be out there in the public. Uh, And that is, it is not the role, I'll say this emphatically, it is not the role of the SEC to make sure that only good investments are offered for sale. The SEC does not do, in theory, quality control on how good an investment is, but rather to make sure that when decisions are made by the investing public, they have the best information available. So it is, um, and if if Paul, if you need to modify this, please do so, its job is to make sure or to preserve the integrity, the quality, the purity of the information which is offered to the invested public, because um, as that clothing seller in New York in the seventies used to say, an informed cust, an informed consumer is our best customer. Is that a That's fair right. summary as we get into today's topic?
2: Yeah, I think so. It's, uh, I mean, sometimes SEC is a bit schizophrenic as to how it approaches these things, but yeah, and. In- Theory and by the intent, I think, of Congress and all that, it was to have the SEC uh, try to, uh, to make sure that uh, the information in the marketplace is accurate and that public companies, uh, and this is a key point, uh, provide material information to investors so that they can uh, make their investment decisions. Um, uh, and so that's not to uh, require companies to disclose everything, every possible thing, because that's impossible, um, but to disclose material information that uh, that's, you know, that's accurate.
1: And one would expect, one would expect that as the SEC moderates and uh, regulates the information which a seller of investment securities... Is offering to the public, one would expect that the SEC would care about the kind of information that a typical investor would be interested in, in making his or her investment. That is, there's a lot of information which a seller of securities could offer, but has no relevance whatever to the investment decision as in my hypothetical, but I teed up the topic. Now, today's topic is ESG. Uh, It is environmental social governance. So, Paul, that's today's topic. What is the relevance of those three words to investment? And why are we talking about this current buzz phrase, environmental social governance?
2: Well, so this is kind of an amalgam of a lot of different ideas that have been percolating in uh, investment circles for a a few decades. And so ESG, like you said, environmental, social, and governance issues, um, it's kind of odd that these three things are thrown together because environmental obviously has to do with, uh, you know, the uh, disclosure and investment in you know, what we now call sustainable uh, companies or sustainable products, and that itself has a very squishy meaning. Um, And then the social aspect is like everything, like what we've seen over the last few years with, uh, you know, when people talk about, um, you know, like equality or equity or whatever the issues are or, uh, you know, anti-discrimination issues and that sort of thing. Um, the workers, uh, you know, how workers are treated and whatnot. And finally, governance has to do with how a company is run, you know, the uh, the roles and interactions between basically the three groups uh, in a company, and that's, um, you know, the shareholders, the board, um, and management. And so there's a long history of, uh, you know, public companies, how they are, are governed, and so the rights of shareholders and what the duties of directors are, and then um, how management interacts with that. And so basically, the investors invest money in the company. They have their representatives, the board of directors who are meant to oversee management, oversee the company, and then management, which is, of course, the hired help, you know, how they're incentivized and what their duties are to the company and uh, to the shareholders. So that's the governance aspect. So anyway, so all this stuff has been, uh, you know, these three topics have been talked about now for a few decades. And the way it comes into play right now is that more and more uh, institutional investors and then individual investors, I guess, are using – some or all of these various uh, criteria to have as filters for their um, investment uh, decision-making, like what companies they want to put money into or what companies they want to avoid. And back, I mean, it started back in the 70s where state uh, pension plans, several states directed their pension plans to screen out so-called sin stocks, like no tobacco, no alcohol, no gambling. A lot of religious-oriented groups uh, did the same thing. And then in the 80s, there was all the uh, issue about South Africa divestment, and, um, and so that counts as kind of this uh, ESG type of uh, thing. There was a lot of uh, political, uh, you know, uh, discussion of that, and it was very loud uh, politically, but. Ultimately, it didn't have much of a real effect in the financial markets, uh, as we can talk about that a little bit later, about how the financial markets work. And then back in the 2000s, then there was a whole movement by, again, by states to screen out guns or Iranian investments or even fossil fuels, depending on the state. And so now, um, after, especially after, you know, COVID and during that time and then the George Floyd uh, issues, then it's... Uh, ESG by the private sector has really uh, kind of grown, and where institutional um, uh, investors are putting pressure on uh, public companies to, uh, you know, to change their business models to, uh, uh, you know, deal differently with workers or whatever, and um, and these institutions are uh, looking to invest in quote unquote good companies rather than the undesirable ones.
1: Now, just to show to our listeners why this matters so much to them, because they would, if they listened to your narrative, they would wonder, why do I care? It's sort of unpleasant and maybe stupid, but why do I care? But of course, they profoundly care. Um, investors, the average, average retail investor, either directly by their own decisions, what they do with their own funds, or indirectly, their pension plan is funded in part, of course, by making investments. Their union pension plan is, if they have an IRA or a 401k, well, somebody is managing that money. So everybody's money is one way or another managed by somebody else, for the most part, except for day traders. So, And if you are an investor and dependent upon having enough money so you can retire at the standard you want, it's your goal and sole goal is to have that those funds be invested wisely so they grow. That is all you really care about as an investor, as a retail investor at the bottom of the food chain, you care that you have made sensible decisions and that you're going to prosper as a result. So ESG so far sounds a little bit vague and maybe some people are rolling their eyes. But show us through the large institutional investors how this profoundly and, Paul, negatively affects each and every listener to our show.
2: Well, that's the the perfect uh, issue to raise here, because basically, if you think the government's bad at spending other people's money, that's what we're talking about here, basically. So back in, say, 1990 and uh, coming out of the 80s into the 90s, and that's when I I spent uh, four years at the SEC early on uh, working for um, uh, two chairmen of the SEC, so back then, uh, the public markets looked a lot different than they do now. So, more than half of all the money that was invest invested in the U.S. Uh, stock markets uh, was held by individuals, individual investors, and that's you know not just uh, the Rockefellers of the world, but also uh, you know normal folks who would uh, be putting money into the stock market through their brokers or whatever. Um, but they made up. Uh, well more than half. It's, I can't remember the exact amount, 60% or more of the little stock market. Today, that's completely reversed. Today, um, more than 70%, it's like 78% or something like that, of the total amount of money held in the U.S. Uh, markets is held by institutions. And that means that uh, average uh, individual investors are no longer... Uh, Investing directly in stocks um, as things have gotten complicated. There's so many more stocks out there and whatnot uh, to choose from. And so they're going to, they're putting their money into um, exchange traded funds or mutual funds and and otherwise with um, other uh, uh, investment uh, sort of managers. And so that means that somebody else. Um, is looking after that money, and so it might be an invest- it might be an index fund. Say you've invested in the S and P 500 fund or something like that, or in other more narrow type of things, um, or in a global you know uh, global equity a large cap fund or whatever it may be. But somebody else is uh, is managing that. All the if you're redeeming or someone else is redeeming you're investing, and so as that money goes in and out. And the stocks that are held by these various funds, somebody has to uh, vote the proxies because, again, you know, you're holding a uh, uh, common stock. You have a, a vote. And so when uh, annual shareholder meetings come up, uh, there are various uh, issues that shareholders have to decide. And so somebody's voting proxy. And so you're not doing that because it's not you who own that share of stock of the company but it's the fund that you've put money into. So if Vanguard or Fidelity or whoever owns that, there's a portfolio manager uh, or a committee or somebody who is deciding how those proxies are voted. So um, over time, uh, those sorts of issues now uh, are, um, because they're decided by these institutional investors, uh, there are people who are much more politically inclined, let's say, these politicized shareholder activists, I'll call them. At either, uh, you know, these are non governmental aid organizations or some of them are active uh, managers of funds. But they are putting pressure on public companies through these uh, shareholder proposals to try to sway the company policy of either businesses that they go into, products that they issue, how they treat their workers, and and all sorts of things like that. And they are pressuring um, other investment managers to vote um, their way as well. So that's where other people's money is being used. So the power of uh, these large investment managers, um, through their voting of their shares, is swaying how public companies are operating and sometimes that's not necessarily in the most uh... financially reasonable way but it's uh, basically to get out of certain lines of business like there are uh, uh, these groups out there who are trying to pressure oil and gas companies to get out of the oil and gas business and to go into some other kind of electrical type or whatever our type of uh, business so that's just one example, but over time, dating all the way back to Saul Alinsky back in the seventies, he was the first one who recognized the power of uh, swaying corporate management uh, through the use of the shareholder proxy process and um, and that has had some very uh, serious and uh, you know long range effects um, uh, that uh, you know over the last few years.
1: So Linsky, just as a side note, is uh, claimed by many to be uh, one of uh, former President Obama's tutors who taught him the, the game of politics, just in case that name is vaguely familiar to our listeners. Now, you mentioned proxy voting and the like, just to put that into a really dramatic context. Americans, for the most part, hold the right to vote as being quite important, if not cherished. We remember in recent uh, public battles over the presidential election, it was a big deal if people were deprived their right to vote. There was lots of fights about the process of voting. In other words, we wanted to retain control over our franchise our right to vote well the right to vote shares of stock is the same thing and when we when we vote for members of the house of representatives we are voting for people to represent our best interest and we select who we vote for based upon how closely the candidate for the House of Representatives or the state equivalent, how closely that candidate reflects our personal views. And we kind of like it. We like having a say, albeit indirectly. This is the same thing when in corporate governance, we don't get to vote and control officers and employees of the corporation. We get to vote for the people who will represent us in those elections. And how offensive does it sound if our listeners are discovering that they are voting for, that their representatives are not voting at all in our best interest and may not reflect our views. So it is no different than if you gave your right to vote for members of the House of Representatives to a fund, an institution to vote for you that's what we have done, and that has been abused by those people who now have acquired the franchise the right to vote now, if an investor were investing, an investor would be free to give their money to a corporation if they were investing directly, like the good old days they would they might say. Making money is secondary to me. What is important is social conscience and so whatever other standards you have. And you would give your money and understanding you are sacrificing yield for policy. Your decision, free to make it. It's your money. But now, as Paul explains, the investing public who may just be concerned about the most wise economic investment. They find that they are against their will and without their knowing about it, they are forced to sacrifice yield to further somebody else's somebody else's social goals. Do I overstate that, Paul?
2: No, you're you're right. And so that's so the 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 main message about all of this is that people who are putting their money into some of these large, uh, you know, ETFs or mutual funds or whatever, if you, are, you're, you know, however you're investing your money, that you're unwittingly powering, powering a, an ideological um, strategy by, uh, you know, by folks who are um, living in the big cities on the coast who have maybe don't share your outlook and don't really necessarily share your goal of uh, fin- may having financial returns to you know fund your old age to uh, you know when you're in retirement to, to for your college for your kids or whatever for health uh, needs where they are more interested in doing quote unquote good uh, with the money that's being uh, controlled by these uh, various um, funds. And, and where they're being invested, and who is being disinvested from, the messages that they're sending out to companies, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a very powerful type of uh, you know movement that's going on here. And it's not just when I mentioned the uh, uh, these shareholder votes. So that's just one aspect. The real um, the real telling part of all this is the behind the scenes. Sort of strong arming, almost mafia type tactics, where uh, people representing some of these big investment managers come into, you know, to meet with corporate management and say, you know what, we're going to vote against you in the upcoming shareholder uh, meeting, or we're going to, uh, you know, if you don't do X, Y, and Z uh, that, uh, you know, we approve of uh then we're going to either disinvest from you we will um, or or we won't lend to you it's it's just it's uh it's a growing type of uh of pressure that 's being put on these uh, various companies to try to have them follow these various type of ideological uh standards and so that what that does ultimately it really cuts down on the returns that uh, investors get, and if you're uh, uh, saving for retirement or you're just saving uh, in a mutual fund uh, outside of that, uh, you will have less money future live on, uh, and because all of this stuff costs money uh, and, of course, a lot of the sustainability bit is uh, a, a bit more, uh, let's just say, risky than uh, than other sorts of investment.
1: Now... Uh- A real life example, if you will, there are many, but one that I observed happening, I believe it was Exxon, which actually had lost a bit of a battle over members of the board of directors when activist group who were not concerned about maximizing profits, but other goals actually got to be on the Exxon board. Now, I've, I've simplified the Exxon experience, but Paul, if you can, because it is a recent and real example of how this all works, tell us if you can and if you recall about Exxon and what happened.
2: Yeah, well, so this goes back a couple of years now. And uh, so Exxon's returns were not uh doing that well uh, during this time. If you remember, uh, energy prices were very low, <laughs> uh, different than what they are at the current time. And uh, and so, um, uh, Exxon was facing pressure from uh, some of these institutional investors to some saying, you know, you should get out of oil and gas because it's bad for the environment and we're going for, uh, you know, zero net emissions and, and that sort of thing uh, and trying to have Exxon, uh, you know, change its uh, strategy uh, and investments of its own investments in um, new oil and gas fields and things like that, and to go down to alternative sorts of um, energy types of things. And so, uh, this one uh, sort of single-purpose hedge fund grew up, uh, was put together, but and called Engine Number One. They ran what we call a short slate of directors, uh, three against, uh, you know, the other directors that were being put up by the board, uh, by the nominating committee. And uh, because some of the large investment management funds, in particular BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, switched their normal voting for, on behalf of, you know, they they usually voted with management, this time around because of... Uh, pressure and, and other things, just how they viewed things differently, they voted for the that short uh, slate of insurgent directors who actually won. Each one of them won a majority so that they could uh, be, uh, you know, take a seat as a director. So that was quite a, a you know, big news in uh, investment management circles, corporate governance circles, uh, and kind of shook everything up. Uh, and so... Um, and that kind of got the whole discussion going about ESG. and again, so these those three, Vanguard and uh, State Street and BlackRock, have some of the largest um, holdings um, in index funds. Vanguard has uh, very low fees um, in their uh, for their funds, and so they've accumulated a lot of uh, uh, assets under management. and um, so the three of them, combined with a whole bunch of other things where, you know, union pension funds and state pension funds and whatever, that was uh, able to throw um, over the top, uh, you know, these uh, this uh, insurgent uh, slate of directors.
1: And is it possible, it's probably impossible, but I'll ask the question, is it possible to at least make informed speculation on the effect on Exxon, of this uh, gaining seats on the board of activist directors? Or is it much ado about nothing? And what is it, what is there about the Exxon experience that ought to give concern to the investing public?
2: Well, again, so here, I mean, going back to uh, Exxon has, is, uh, you know, has, obviously has been around a long time. Uh, it uh, prides itself on always paying a dividend, and um, and so a lot of, uh, it has a large group of still, unlike some other companies, it has a lot of individual investors still holding its stock. So I understand that the individual investor group voted with management, more, it's like some 90-some percent those shareholders voted for management, whereas it was the institutional investors voting other people's money uh, f- uh, to, uh, uh, you know, have that uh, insurgent slate win. So, um, so again, we're kind of uh, focusing on, so, you know, whose interests are being represented here. And so if, if uh, you know, uh, the Uh, normal individual investors are behind management strategy, and now the institutional investors are saying, well, no, you need to change that and get out of oil and gas. Maybe that looked fine a couple years ago, but now it doesn't look so fine, I would argue. And, And so, or maybe it would be, maybe not fine or whatever, but it's more, you know, there are other opportunities out there. And now, obviously, there's a big demand still for, the energy provided by uh, oil and gas. So, um, so who knows what the uh, you know the pressures are within um, the company? I mean, Exxon has announced more investment in "quote unquote" sustainable type of areas, and the, the, obviously, mo- there's money's not infinite. So, some some investments are going to be sort changed, and and you know the strategy of the firm may change. So who's to say what it actually looks like inside? Obviously, that's you know, I'm not privy to that, and um, it's, uh, but we'll, time will tell. But again, you know, do some of these pressure points? Is this going to hurt Exxon in the long run? Uh, you know, if management thinks one way, and now you have three insurgent directors who are maybe pressuring it to do something else, is that uh, the best for the company or not? Um, ultimately, it's the investors who are putting money into it who will either get the benefit or pay the price of those wrong decisions.
1: New thoughts come to mind. You sh- You quoted an amazing statistic that I was not aware of, and that was that 97% of the individual investors supported the existing Exxon board, and however— a majority, substantial majority, I presume, of the institutional investors, those investors investing somebody else's money, voted against existing management. Now, if you assume that, take that statistic, 97% of the individual investors supported management. That tells me that, It's fair to assume that close to 97% of the investors in, I'll use BlackRock only because you mentioned the name as an example, it's fair to assume that 97% of the investors in BlackRock also, if they were polled, would support existing management. But, but their vote doesn't count. Indeed, their vote is reversed and is offset by the private vote of the tiny handful of those people making investment decisions at blackrock so the whole shareholder democracy has been torn apart and second point paul i just want it was an important point which you made and all i'm going to do is re is emphasize it and that is you said it may not be, the phrase was, you, it may not be good for Exxon. I will remind our audience that when you say it's not good for Exxon, what you're really saying, obviously, it's not good for Exxon's employees, human beings. It's not good for, for Exxon's suppliers, and it's not good for Exxon's creditors, and it's not good for Exxon's investors, so what you what you have explained is that the the woke voting of institutional investors voting in the way that appeals to the private egos of the management of Blackrock that it is damaging there are there is so much collateral damage of people who don't get a seat at the table as a result of this. So this is not an eye rolling oh well, they're at it again. This has profound effects upon the economy. Now, Paul, you also mentioned that I want to expand upon that. You you made some a passing reference to financial markets, our system of free market for an invest in pub, investing public, so that if millions of individual investors are provided with adequate accurate information, they will collectively allocate capital where it will provide the greatest return, which means the economy grows, new products are invented, new drugs are discovered, and everybody is better off. And is it hyperbole or is it worth discussing to express the fear that everything that supports Higher standard of living is at risk with this upsetting of the allocation of capital.
2: Might not be I don't remember what it's over ninety percent. It might not be. I don't know about ninety-seven percent, but the the percentage of uh, of uh, individual investors voting in that to support management at Exxon. But but anyway, but but it, it's ninety something. But regardless of that, I just wanted to. So historically. Individual investors uh, usually there was the old uh, Wall Street rule. It was uh, called so that uh, if you had shares with a broker, and if the uh, the broker would send you the proxy statement, and say you know please vote your shares, uh, tell me how to vote them, uh, and so uh, instruct me how to do that. And uh, uh, up until like 2010 or so. Uh, the Basically, the brokers would follow the Wall Street rule, and this was kind of ensconced in your stock exchange uh, rules that, you know, for uninstructed votes, they'd go ahead and vote with management um, because the uh, people would figure, well, you know, then the investor is, uh, you know, happy with his investment because he doesn't like management, he doesn't like the direction of the company he's going to sell and get out of there and, and put his money elsewhere. But then, you know, when we talk about how a lot of little issues have changed here to kind of build up to the current point, back under the Obama administration, the SEC strong-armed the New York Stock Exchange and uh, NASDAQ to change their rules and basically do away with the Wall Street rules. So for uninstructed votes for these sorts of shareholder questions, uh, the brokers will not vote the uh, individuals' shares. So that has kind of uh, ch- uh, given more power to union pension funds and to some of these other uh, activist funds because individual votes, which normally are voted management, uh, don't count so much. So so that's why, I mean, going back to Saul Alinsky and some of these other um, issues where you know, people who are you know on the usually on the left uh, have uh, figured out that you know you can't get things through Congress uh, because of uh, you know the the even division there and the rules in Congress. And increasingly, they're trying to get things through regulation, especially here in the Biden administration at the SEC and elsewhere, to to try to you know have. Investment go in more, uh, to their point, ideologically acceptable ways. So now they have realized that they can actually do things through the private sector and through these investment managers to put pressure on companies to you know, achieve net zero by whatever arbitrary dates people are now talking about twenty thirty or twenty fifty or whatever the the um, uh, the data is and to get pledges out of, of these investment managers to achieve their goals that way so whether or not that's in the best interests of uh, Like you say workers and investors who are trying to save for the future trying to get the, the best Sort of return from their investment um, or not and that's a real question but you can see how the specter of ideology um, in, uh, infecting now um, the investments for most people who are just looking for a good return is pretty troubling because, again, these folks are using other people's money to try to achieve what they their their own personal uh, ideological uh, goals are. And so that's the, the most troubling aspect of it.
1: Since I am an unreconstructed free marketeer, I will take to the grave my faith in the free market, my wisdom of the collective action of millions of people, each making private decisions, will always get to the right result. I will take that with me forever. The question that occurred to me, and no, Paul, I'm not proposing a new business model for you and I to do in our spare time, but just to see how all of this works, from what you have said, what what jumps into my head is, isn't there a marketplace? And I know there is something like this already, but please speak to it if you can. Isn't there a market for an investment fund, a BlackRock, a State Street, if you will, which says, we pledge we will make our investment decisions on a purely economic basis, and we have no interest in doing anything other than in increasing the return, and that is our pledge. Why wouldn't they, or would they, crowd out over time those investment funds that subordinate yield to other social goals?
2: Well, I think that's a, that's a great point, and so there are some, and I you know I don't want to uh, 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 single out any particular uh, uh, type of uh, fund out there, but uh, but there are some that are emphasizing that right now, growing up um, the last uh, year or two, and um, and so they are making a point that we're not going to engage in that sort of ideological screening um, of investments, and we're not going to twist companies' arms uh, behind closed doors and that sort of thing to advance our ideology. And so that's, uh, we're not going to go through the ESG investing, which uh, has so many made-up metrics to try to screen companies and, and that sort of thing. And so- Hopefully, you know, their um, uh, you know, their fees will be less because I mean, we haven't really touched on. There's so many aspects of this um, that are interesting. But, you know, it's in the, these investment managers' interests to um, really push the whole ESG um, investment uh, process because they can charge higher fees for that. And even there was a PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, survey that was done that said 78% Of investors um, are willing to pay a three to five percent premium uh, to invest in ESG, and that there are there's more demand now for ESG related products, whatever that may mean, uh, uh, than there um, there's more demand than there are um, uh, investments to be um, that to be put into. So you can see how. You know, If you're a contrarian investor, <laughs> maybe this is not the thing to put your money into uh, in the first place. But regardless of that, um, you know, I, I agree with you that um, over time that will happen. But in the meantime, the power that, um, that some of these uh, investment managers have, and even going back to things that should be ideologically pure, so an S&P 500 investment fund, a passive investment fund, these big firms are using the money that um investors are unwittingly putting into those um that are put, they're putting their money into those funds or even their investment advisors are doing it but it's uh to them it's uh they they have no uh transparency in that what the what the use for those funds are being put to and if they're being used for, you know, a big money manager to go into a corporation and say, we demand that you follow our prescription here of uh, socially proper uh, uh, metrics of your business and how you're going to be deciding how to allocate your own, uh, how how to drive your strategy for the future. Um, So the folks who are putting their money into some of those uh, big index funds, being unwittingly used, um, uh, you know, their assets are being used uh, to advance issues that they may not agree with and that may, over time, uh, not be in their financial best interest. So that's that's the real rub. And so just to quote the CEO of the British investment uh, uh, scheme, uh, Hermes Investment Management, said a few years ago that he said, he was complaining about the increasingly siloed view that's focused on financial rather than societal returns in, uh, in the investment management industry, and that
1: oh my God.
2: investment managers need to think not just about our pensioners, but about those pensioners' grandchildren. And so, you know, for retirees, financial security, I would think is their top priority and not necessarily to save the world. I mean, that's fine, and you should, if you want to do that, you should put your money in, but there should be full transparency and there should be, you know, proper disclosure about all this. And the fiduciary duty of these pension managers and of other financial managers to their investors, you know, uh, should be inviolate there. And that's where a lot of the controversy is coming now from, State financial officers, for example, uh, you know, in the red states, you know, like 26 of them uh, have uh, been putting contrary pressure on some of these investment management firms in Florida, for example, uh, has kicked uh, some out of their, um, uh, you know, has, has taken money away from them from from being managed by them uh, for just this, these same reasons. So there's a lot of controversy here, but that's why people need to be aware of how your money could be used and to ask questions of your investment manager, ask questions of, uh, you know, where you're, uh, you know, by looking to see how your money's being used by your various funds.
1: Nothing in this show is expressing an opinion about ESG as concepts, as goals, agnostic on that. The point of this show is as to social goals that you may have as to where the country, indeed the world, ought to go. God bless you. And it is the goal of the financial system to produce wealth for you and distribute it to you so that you can privately take the wealth the system has given you and spend that, give it away, in furtherance of whatever complements your belief system. So this is not about whether these principles are appropriate and should be encouraged. This is about who gets to decide how your money is used. This is about financial democracy. It's your money, and a stranger should not be permitted to further the stranger's social goals— The stranger who is managing your money has only one assignment increase your wealth so that you can spend your money however you wish. We are not saying corporations shouldn't do that, but everybody should have a choice as to how their own money is spent. And if a corporate manager appeals to a certain segment of the population by how they spend their money or corporation's money or gives it away, if that's their strategy, fine, they will draw investors who are sympathetic to that. So this is about, not about the principles, are they good or bad? It's about who gets to spend your money.
2: Paul? Right. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, so let me just do like four points real quick, because I know we're about done. But um, so first of all, ESG investing, like you say, may be fine if you like that then, you know, God bless you, put your money into that and whatnot. But be aware of that your money could be used in ways that you don't necessarily want it to be, so you have to ask questions. So ESG is, investing is dangerous, I think, because it uses made-up metrics, it's ideologically driven, and could be, um, you know, against your own interests. It invests in companies, again, for ideology, and it distorts markets by denying capital to to uh, to very legitimate uh, types of uh, productivity, and it could cut down on innovation and competition again to your detriment. Because by investing into uh, you know solid uh, uh, products that uh, that have a market need, uh, regardless of you know what the ideology you know pro or con might be, is uh, kind of the essence of uh, of investing in the marketplace, and then ultimately. You know, if ESG, just remember, it's about implementing and pushing social and environmental policies through means other than our constitutional uh, political process. And so this is all about power and all about trying to uh, get to ulterior motives down there. So if you're not on board with that, you know, please be aware that you're that, you know, you have a a lot of power through uh, how you where you place your money and just ask your advisors or look at how what the statements are behind the uh, the investment manager that is running your fund and look at if they're talking about ESG principles and all that, maybe you should steer away from that and go to another sort of uh, fund out there that does not do that.
1: And this is about we live in a complex economic system, and each segment of our system has a specific assignment, a specialization. It is the specialized role of a profit-making corporation to produce wealth so that the wealth can be used to improve the quality of life for all of us. That's their assignment. It is not the assignment given to a manufacturing company in the Midwest to save the polar bear. Their assignment is use the money we give them to make more money so that society can spend it appropriately. Paul, how can, is there a way that our friends out there can follow your writing and to keep track of your views?
2: Uh, sure. Well, so uh, my firm, we have a, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, Potomac.com, P-A-T-O-M-A-K.com. We have uh, uh, blog posts and, and whatnot that we put on there. Um, so that's one way. Another, I would suggest, uh, there are two commissioners of the SEC today, uh, Hester Peirce, spelled P-E-I-R-C-E, and Mark Ueda, who have a lot of interesting speeches, uh, on these issues, uh, to look at. Uh, but, uh, I think there's, um, you know, happy to, happy to take questions, uh, afterwards and, uh, but about all this. But it's very important to realize that, you know, when people talk about nowadays it's politics or ideology 24-7 in all different ways, uh, That's it's unfortunate that it's invaded uh, the investment management industry. And I think ultimately that's detrimental to investors and people could be really hurt in the long term because every little bit, whether you're spending money more on you know, higher fees for these ESG funds or whatever, All that, you know, through compounding of interest, uh, that really hurts after 20, 30, 40 years of saving and investing.
1: Paul, thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I know that our audience has as well. Thank you so much, Paul Atkins. Bob Zadig saying so long for now. We'll be back again next Sunday for another hour of Ideas Not Attitude. Thank you so much.